Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have another positive podcast for you today as we discuss Tottenham's 2-0 victory over West Ham United. Always happy to celebrate a cup final victory on this podcast. Joining me, as always, are my two lovely co-hosts coming to us from the depths of the American South. First of all, coming to us from Hotlanta, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you celebrating another victory over West Ham United? Oh, I don't celebrate victories over West Ham United. Good Those man. are just run-of-the-mill occurrences. Good man. And coming to us from the slopes of South Florida, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, are you celebrating West our, our victory over West Ham United or just celebrating in general? Celebrating in general. Every day is a holiday down here. You know how we do it. I do. I do know how you do it down there. Yeah, literal only way that you introduced me. I, you know, I really hope I never have to get a job somewhere that, and they're going to do any sort of digging and just listen to like I don't know an episode or two of this podcast. And they're going to find out. They're just going to find out you're really into skiing, and they're going to yeah. be like, "That's weird that you would live in Florida and be really hitting the slopes all the time." But you know, yeah, it's great. It's great for me. <laughs> Well, on that note, uh, we have a victory over West Ham United to discuss. Uh, A two-goal victory, which is a very nice change of pace from how we've been playing lately. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of strange how routine this game felt, considering how we've been playing lately. But everything really came off and everything really worked. I don't think you could call it routine just because it was comfortable. There was nothing okay, routine. Okay, comfortable about... is perhaps a better term. That is a good point. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Emerson, you know, scoring when he wants, that's becoming routine, right? That's true. Certainly Emerson being our best player, that's happening more often than I think we all would have thought. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where to start in this game. Uh, let's start with the obvious piece. Ben, um... Is there any reason we shouldn't fire Antonio Conte and hire uh, Stellini as our new manager moving forward? Yes, because we still need Conte to serve as like the ceremonial figurehead for the club, to be the lightning rod for criticism and you know all of that, while Stellini quietly goes about the business actually coaching this team to yet another victory. Could we not just use Ryan Mason as that figurehead? I mean, we could, but I think he would be set ablaze by the masses in the streets very quickly, and then we need to find a new figurehead very quickly. Maybe Conte Tim Sherwood's is, not doing anything. Who knows? Conte's safely ensconced in his villa in Spain, like he or in Spain. Italy, like <laughs> wherever. <laughs> Who fucking cares. Brian, maybe maybe you could. Maybe you can lead us to his chateau in the Alps, uh, you know, lead us on a, ski, a, a long-distance skiing expedition. 
Yeah, I mean, the, we've had worse ideas, honestly. Like going to Portugal to scout players for time. <laughs> hey. That may still work out. We don't know. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. The $45 million we spent to make Emerson Royale this good was well worth it. That's honestly true. Uh, let's, let's talk about Emerson while we're here. Uh, he's played a lot better lately. Is this uh, – and we can either focus on his game or the last couple matches. But I mean, do we think this is – a tweak we've made tactically? Do you think he just has a fire up his ass because we went and like bought a pretty expensive right back? Is it the nature of the opponents we've played? Brian, I'll start with you. Like what, what is different about Emerson? Uh, I don't think really anything's different. I mean, look, players get good runs and he's on a good run right now. Um, I, I think, I think that's all that this is, attributable to i i don't think that having competition is what's doing it doherty was there all season uh spence was there all season like if emerson just perceives poro to be like a bigger threat that's more of a emerson thing um but like i i just feel like he's in a good run of form he's just playing really well at the moment and he's shown that he's capable of this sort of performance like early in the season he's had plenty of games where he was you know above average to pretty good um and so you know just putting together two or three ga- good games in the last four or five matches is uh is a nice thing for him but i don't i don't think it anything crazy changed in his motivation or the way he's approaching things but you don't think so, we're deploying him differently ben i think there's you know something to be said for precisely how he's been good in these various matches right like the game against City, he was the consummate defender, you know? And, like, we've always known, like, that's kind of his best skill set, right? He's, like, a pretty good one-on-one defender. He works really hard. Um, you know, the thing he's bad at, generally, is attacking specifically in the final third. He's pretty good in possession midway up the pitch. He's not a good crosser. He's not a good, you know, goal scorer. He's not good at that kind of in the box stuff in the final third stuff. Um, and so in Man City, he was really good at the thing we kind of know he's already good at. Um, against Milan, like he was fine. Like we were just all pretty bad. And so him being pretty fine kind of was exemplary for the day, but I don't think it speaks anything to him. I think this West Ham match is the first time we've really seen an Emerson performance that, tactically gets the best out of him in a way that we haven't seen really since last spring. Um, You know, last spring, Matt Doherty was like on fire and looked like irreplaceable when he got injured. Um, And Emerson Royale came into the team and pretty quickly struck up a good relationship with Kuliszewski and let Kuliszewski be the guy who stayed wide and delivered balls. And he played a little more inside, a little more, you know, in the lines, uh, in between the lines, making passes and, you know, helping progress the ball. And I think we kind of got back to that for the first time in a long while. You know, we had a really good Christian Romero behind him who allowed him to kind of operate in that sort of midfieldier space more comfortably. And we had Kuliszewski ahead of him who allowed him to not have to go down to the byline and bang crosses into defender's shins all day. Um, and, you know, through injuries, we haven't really seen those three guys kind of as an axis on the right side. 
very often this season. And when we have, it's been kind of iffy. But, you know, the man of the moment, Christian Cellini, figured out, I think, how to make it all work. But, yeah, I mean, this was this was like the kind of performance that you hope can turn into something for the future. And, and we can actually rely on him to do a lot more than just be a guy making last-ditch tackles in the box against Jack Grealish. Well, what I think is really interesting about, I want to guess I focus on this performance, is like a lot of what made him really good for us last year, like you said, Ben, was the sort of one-on-one defending, his ability to sort of get the ball out of the our third of the pitch. And a lot of it was just like, okay, Kulishevsky, you just, you know, go do your thing. And I'm going to back off once you're in the final third. And in this game in particular, I don't think Kulishevsky had a great match. And I don't want to, like, diminish his contributions because he still had a, he set up a nice chance and he's always a threat and, you know, he's a great player. He's a good player. But I, I think, you know, unlike last year, I thought Emerson had a really good performance when Kulishevsky was not. And, you know, the way that he was sort of moving on the, in the into the interior of the pitch, he wasn't you know, staying wide the whole time. It was, I, I just, I, I thought it was an interesting use of him. And I thought he, he played well. And, you know, you could see sort of shades of the guy that I remember seeing at Bettis who, you know, again, wasn't, we're not talking like Kyle Walker or even Regulon in terms of attacking there. But, you know, he was a, a decent contributor to the attack. He would set guys up. He would sort of get the ball rolling in the final third in a way that, you know, made sense. And, you know, in, in, a, in a team that doesn't rely <clears> – <throat> It doesn't rely so much, excuse me, it doesn't rely so much on fullbacks uh, or on wingbacks. You know, he's probably a better fit. But I, I just thought the way we used him in this game was so interesting, especially considering that Kuliszewski, I, you know, I don't think he was on fire um, against West Ham. I mean, you know, look, if we want to use Royale as our center forward going forward, uh, you know, that's totally fine to me. I think, you know, an attacking band that is. Ben Davis, Emerson Royale, and then, uh, I don't know, Dan Juma. I think that'd be... Let's just do that. Yeah, can't go wrong. I Other than the scrubs we've got playing up there now. Emerson deserves, I think, a lot of credit for that finish because for a guy who is not a great shooter of the ball, for a guy who's not asked to shoot the ball very much, and for a guy who's had as many problems in the attacking third as he's had with us, that was a very calm and composed finish. He basically passed the ball in the net and, you know, from a little ways out, like I, that was a really well taken chance for a guy who is not typically very good at this sort of thing. Right. It was smart of him to keep his head about him and pass the ball into the net instead of trying to wallop it and launch it into God knows where. If he passed it, he had just as much chance of hitting the goalkeeper as he did the goal. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> if he crossed it, that would be, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. No, uh, I do I, think... I, you... Okay, Brian. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, well... you, please. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, you, I insist. No, no you. you. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so anyway. So... <laughs> ben, go. No, I'm just kidding. Brian, go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so anyway, uh, what I was going to say uh, was, you know, Richarlison had a shot from a similar position and did much worse with it than he did. Uh, uh, I, I thought... You know, Royale was fine. I thought I li- I really liked what Ben Davis did in the build up to that goal, and yes. I actually I feel bad saying this, you know, while we're being recorded, but like 
I didn't mind Ben Davis as a wingback. Like, given the whole lot of nothing we kind of have gotten this year from Perisic and Sessegnon, like, Ben Davis, while not being particularly athletic or dribbly, is a pretty good passer, and he seems to at least understand the patterns in a way that I think we all thought Perisic would, but hasn't really. Um, and so I I am open to more Ben Davies left wing back. Well, I, I am and I'm not. I mean, I think on the one hand, I thought he would struggle um, being asked to get up and down the wing. He really hasn't had to play much fullback in the last few years, um, not maybe counting for you know, some time at the end of matches or when he's deputized due to injury. We really haven't started him there. I think some of that was because West Ham was not being particularly adventurous, I would say. But I think it's worth remembering, like, Ben Davies is a smart player. Whatever else you want to say about him, whatever other limitations he has, he's a, he's a canny player. And I think this is the kind of match that suits him. And we're probably going to see this a little more, whether it's a good idea or not. Just to, you know, as long as Sessegnon's out, we've got only one other like actual left back on the team. So we might see it, but you know, everything else that's said about Ben Davies, like the thing that always made him pretty good as a wing back or as a, as a, sorry, as a left back was when he got in the final third, he was a good passer. I mean, he knew how to set guys up once he got up the field, there were other problems he had um, on the pitch, but you know, when he's in the final third, he was usually pretty good at picking out a pass and making it. So, even still, I thought it was really an exceptional move that led to that goal, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for how well he played. But, again, if we're going to play a team like West Ham, who are, I, mean, I know in the second half they opened up a little bit, and that's what, you know, that's what allowed this goal. We were able to counterattack them. But, you know, at the same time, West Ham was not very adventurous against us. And, you know, against teams that are going to do this, you know, we could probably get away with Ben out on the wing. But I'm not sure that's something I want to see a ton of. Especially, like, I certainly don't want to see it against... For all the problems Paris had just had, I'd rather see him out there against Chelsea this weekend. I mean, I don't know that I agree with you. I think the worst part of Ben Davis playing wing back is it means we have to play long back, long lay at center back, and he, yes, once again was like one of the worst performers on the pitch. Um, but I think tactically, Ben Davis, like Emerson, has always been a very underlapping kind of fullback, and. Perisic is very much not that. He likes being wide. He likes getting high up the pitch very aggressively. And, you know, I, I think it's arguable that the way Conte envisioned us playing with kind of very aggressive wingbacks bombing down the pitch has been a bit of a problem uh, in terms of how the front line plays. Like, that is... Perisic is moving into spaces that Hungman Sun wants to be in. And, you know... I don't know. I'm not going to say that that's like exclusively why Sun's been bad this year, but having a much more kind of support, interior focused kind of wing back who moves inside and picks passes into space for guys to move into instead of running past them um, gave us a very different look. Um, you know, and having both of those guys and both of those pitch allowed our our forwards. I think typically we see them when we're trying to, like, move the ball into the final third, they're, like, all three kind of narrowed into the center of the pitch, you know, with defenders on their backs trying to get the ball, and it just doesn't work. You know, they get they get fouled, they can't turn. Um, and, and the way that this created space for 
you know, the midfield and, and those wingbacks to pass into, um, I thought was really effective. You know, when you look at Sun's goal, running in behind like that, getting the ball to his feet with nobody in front of him with a goalkeeper, that's a kind of thing that, like, we just aren't seeing this season. Um, and it's, it's what Emerson you know, got. Right. Emerson got the exact same kind of opportunities. You know, guys running into space um, because of, I think, that structure allows for that to happen, I think, a little better than, than the way we have been playing. So I am curious to see if this is just a product of West Ham basically surrendering the match from kickoff or if this is something that's tactical and can, you know, help our forwards be more involved um, in the final third. The thing I like about it is, at least in theory, it gives you a little more solidity and control in the midfield. Um, when you have Davis and Emerson who are, are comfortable stepping inside, you give a little more support to you know what's basically a two-man midfield. And we've seen, especially in games against Chelsea this year, against Arsenal, like teams that are playing three fields are even when we're putting our best guys out there um are are just able to to kind of hold us at bay and and prevent us from really doing things through the middle so i think that is while it it wasn't necessarily something that happened in this match just because you know west ham weren't doing a lot um it's certainly something that you could see the team doing down the stretch to um you know you know, help out a midfield that right now is a little bit undermanned. Uh, and, you know, it, it it might give us more solidity. And then if Kane and Son start doing Kane and Son things, um, we could, we could our attack could really start going. I, I largely agree with you guys on a lot of those points. But speaking specifically about the Chelsea match, like whatever other problems Chelsea has as a team, there's athletes on that team. And, you know, I don't want to, th- like, Paris just hasn't been any great shakes over there, and certainly he's an old man and has those issues. But, like, Jesus Christ, the, the, like, Davies in, in particular out there really worries me um, in terms of, you know, keeping up with those guys. Now, I mean, again, not like Paris is going to have some of those problems. I think he's going to have fewer of those problems, though. I mean, I guess you're right that we are vulnerable to a fast guy on the wing roasting Ben Davis and then Longley. But I think, you know, getting a, letting a Chelsea guy get free in that kind of deep corner or whatever is less worrisome to me than Chelsea's athletic midfield harrying us out of the ball at every possible opportunity and us not being able to build anything or concede transitions through the middle in much more dangerous areas. Like, I think, you know, it is a trade-off. You're right. But I, I'm not sure it's a trade-off that will make us – worse well there's not um, especially yeah there's not a, a ton bad of great bit at chelsea there's not a ton of know. great options here but I mean, we'll see i mean again like it's i don't care how bad chelsea i mean we could have you know the qataris could work together with the saudis to buy pep guardiola the best tottenham team ever created and i would still chelsea could get relegated the same year and i still wouldn't feel good about us playing them so you know yeah uh, we'll see. There's, there's, there's trade-offs. We're not talking about the Chelsea game right now. Having well, a Romero instead of Longley on that side to mop up behind makes that dynamic a lot more comfortable. Yes. And, you know, it wouldn't feel like we're taking so much off the table while we're putting something on it. And, and frankly, and I'm not sure the Chelsea match is the match you want to do this in, I would be very interested to put Pedro Porro out there without 
you know, Tanganga playing his like first 20 minutes of match time in the year, you know, having Romero out there behind him, I, I feel a lot better about how that would look. Um, right. If you can put Royale on the left and Poro on the right and hope Poro doesn't shit himself and hope Royale can play as effectively from the left. Yeah. Maybe yeah. let's not do this against Chelsea because of, you know, anyone's going to shit themselves. It's going to be against Chelsea. Chelsea aren't going to take it. So it's going to be fine. Ah, okay. Good to know. <laughs> um, they don't do that anymore. Uh, I want to talk about our midfield for a second. I thought Oliver Skip did really well. Uh, I was a little disappointed not to see Saar out there because I think Saar is a bit more of a progressive player. And, um, you know, we sung his praises last week. But I was really happy with Skip. And I think we said this when he's played for us before. Uh, you know, I'd be really interested, not that this is relevant or anything, but seeing Skip under a manager like Mauricio Pochettino or – you know, some of the other names that we might be linked with in the months to come. Cause I thought skip did, I, I, again, I don't want to get carried away here, but for the profile that we all associate with skip with, I thought he did a nice job playing a few passes forward, getting up the pitch. And I'm a little interested in a different type of system to see what skip would look like. If you take the leash off of him a little bit, um, I don't, again, I don't want to get carried away, but, Again, a nice young player who I think acquitted himself well in the moment um, for another, for like the second game in a row. I mean, I don't think it's getting carried away, though, because, again, Skip, like Saar, is not a child. Like, he's played, I don't, I, I don't know how many times he's played for Spurs, but probably 30-ish. Ben can look it up while I talk. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he so, like, He's played in the Champions League. He's played in, you know, he, he's he's won the championship with Norwich. Like, he's he's a competent and capable player. And most of the time when he's played for Spurs, he has looked good. And I think we've all talked in, in preseasons in the past about, you know, we underestimate X part of his game. And, you know, actually, he's pretty good on the ball. And he does this, this, and this. And he does. I think at this point in his career, he's basically like, a not quite as good version of Hoybjerg. And I don't think that's an unreasonable place for someone who's whatever he is, 22 years old to be like, uh, you know, the, the, the question with him is, does he get the game time and the minutes to take the leap from there? And, and this is a great chance for him to do that. I, I, I'm with you, Greg. I wanted to see Saar. Like I was disappointed because Hoybjerg skip feels kind of samey. Um, as a midfield, but, uh, uh, you know, West Ham didn't do a lot, so it didn't matter that much. And did a good job breaking up play um, when he needed to. I mean, uh, you know, Declan Rice is a is a really midfielder. He's wanted by some of the biggest clubs in England, and he, he didn't really do much. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with them being Sammy is, you know Hoybjerg has that kind of progressive instinct in him. He just doesn't do it well under pressure. Um, but when he has time, he can pick passes like the one that led to the Royale goal all day. You know, we see him do it for Denmark all the time. And, you know, international football is a little less aggressive than club football. Um, and West Ham really gave him the space to do that. So we weren't missing, you know, what Sar could have brought to the table in, in this match particularly. And like you said, you know, Skip is a really good athlete that, you know, is sometimes hard to believe when you just sort of look at his goofy white boy 
face, you know, loping around the pitch, but like he's got a motor to him and he's comfortable bursting out of midfield and running forward and, you know, has the legs to get back into position when he does that. And like, you know, that's, yeah, they, they worked well together. And, you know, last year for a long time, that was our midfield and it was decently effective. Um, so, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world if we have to see them more. It's just, yeah, I don't know gonna, if my, I don't know if my skepticism with Skip is, I don't want to say skepticism because I do think he's a good player, but when I, I'm always a little, I find myself a little more surprised by him. I don't know if that's just my inherent skepticism of like English players or of young English players around. This is your anti-English racism. Well, Greg. yes. Or if it's by like my anti uh, youth player agenda, because I've been burnt so often on that. Or if it's just the fact that Skip has the look of a man who is constantly amazed by what he's seeing at the zoo. Like, when have you ever been burnt by a youth player? You've never believed like in a youth player sport, once, ever. I, in every You've sport. You've never I ever believed in a youth player at first. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because I because I've watched enough. <laughs> I've watched enough minor leaguers in baseball. Fucking suck shit. So anyway, uh, but Skip is again like I'm always a little pleasantly surprised by him, and I think part of that too is like he never, with maybe the exception of last fall uh, or two falls ago, I guess now. Um, he never really gets a real run in the team, and you know, he's played seventy-five times for Spurs. Jesus Christ! Yeah, so I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many minutes that is, but uh, or how many, is, but uh, yeah, seventy-five times, thirty, twenty-eight appearances last year. Well, thank God for Nuno. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It makes you wonder. Like, do we need a guy like Basuma? We got so many samey midfielders. Now, at the same time, like, we've had three guys get hurt, and it's not a total disaster. So maybe the strategy is working a little better than it appears on its face. But um, yeah, I, I I'm very happy with Skip. I'd like to see both Skip and Sar uh, moving forward. And frankly, you know, there is something to be said for you know we've been very down on Spurs the last couple of months. But regardless if it's Conte or someone else, like. You know, that's a, that's a midfield pairing I think you can legitimately dream on. And that's something we, I know, sort of in our darkest hours in the last few months, we've been sort of moaning about how Arsenal have all these young players coming through their academy. And Brian, I know that you made the point that, like, you know, Sar and, you know, you just said Skip's been on, on the pitch 78 times for Spurs. These guys aren't, you know, 16-year-olds coming out of the youth academy, but we're still talking about pretty young guys who could be the foundation of a good Spurs team for the next couple of years, or at least part of that foundation. And... You know, I don't know. It's, it's it's seeing these guys succeed is really encouraging. I think um, two, two two matches in a row. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the, the sticking point is always going to be, you know, what about the Chelsea match? What about you know, Champions League games? You know, and, and uh, but but I think the thing we as fans have to realize is like that's your stick. Point. That's your question with. Every player you're going to bring in, whether it's, you know, 22-year-old Oliver Skip, whether it's 25-year-old Eve Basuma, whether it's, you know, whoever. Like, how do they perform in your team's matches on the biggest stage that your team is going to play on? And, you know, we, we've got a couple of kids in Skip and Sar um, who every time we put them on a stage, they excel. And... So let's just keep doing it till they, you know, until they they stop excelling. 
I mean, if you go back to our Champions League game just the other day, like they were the best part of the team and uh, in an otherwise bad performance, but still, they were not the ones who let us down that day. Um, yeah, I mean, there's things to hope on, especially if Antonio Conte stays in Italy and we have a manager who is willing to make some interesting choices. Like, I don't like being glib about it and like whatever, but... You know, we bitched last week about Conte's unwillingness to try anything different. And, you know, some of this was obviously necessary because of, you know, personnel available. But benching Sun finally for Richarlison, playing Ben Davis at wingback were real choices that, you know, I'm sure Conte had to give his blessing to do, but, like, are things that he had not been interested in doing. And... I think it's a a lot of credit is deserved for Stellini going out there and saying, we're going to shake this up a little bit and see how this goes. And, you know, we had a okay first half and then made tactical adjustments at halftime to make us better. And it was very encouraging to see a coach kind of adjust like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I wish Conte the best. I hope he gets well soon, whatever. But I'm not dying to see him back in the dugout after the recent four-game stretch of Stellini, you know, bagging out two impressive victories and Conte crapping out two very bad losses. (laughs) It is worth pointing out, and it might be, like you said, due to circumstance, Conte did start Sar and Skip in that game, so in that Champions League match. So, um we shall see. I want to. Yeah, um, everybody else couldn't play Hoybeard. Yeah. Hoybeard yeah. Well, no. Suspended. I'm not saying it might. It, it might have been down to necessity, but he did it. Is my ultimate point. It was so. either that, or Dyer and Alfie Devine. But my point is, he didn't put Dyer in midfield. He didn't do something like that. He did start the young guys. So, um, I want to talk about another guy who had a really good performance against West. Or I was really impressed with the performance against West Ham, which was uh, Richarlson, who I thought looked rusty. I thought looked a little bit off of it. You talked about his, his shot. But he did that thing that you want Richarlson to do. He wore those guys out. I mean, he was a nuisance. It's the thing that you always like about Richarlson. He's like, even if he's not scoring goals, he is a pain in the ass. And, you know, I think uh, I think it was Nathan on the Extra Inch this week who talked about it. Like, imagine dealing with, like, you've got Richarlson just kicking your ass for 60 minutes up and down the pitch. And now here comes Hunmin Son with fresh legs <laughs> ready to run at you. And it can't be fun, and it's the kind of thing we've been crying out for all year. That it's, and it was just, it was so refreshing to see. Like, like I think Richarlson, if he's going to be a contributor to this team, needs to become more clinical. And I've, you know, I, I'm going to give him a fair amount of grace on that because he's coming off a World Cup. He's been injured all year. That's these are things that are not entirely under his control. But even when he's not producing in the way we need him to produce, he is doing things that make him a useful part of this team. And I think just, just, just underlines that we were just talking about like it's a breath of fresh air to see him in there doing something different trying something different and seeing it you know I I don't know if it worked is the word I would use there but seeing him making a real difference in the match and I think I really do think it paid off late in the match I think West Ham was just mentally cooked at a certain point I mean, I think there are tactical ways to get Sun that kind of space that he maybe needs to thrive in but Absent that, having Richarlison just bully someone into 
making defenders unwilling to body up on somebody because they've been elbowed in the kidneys, you know, 57 times by the time, time Sun gets on the pitch. Like, yeah, that's a viable way of doing that as well. But I think he's he's a really flexible, useful player, and it's it's a different look. And we, frankly, whatever we've been doing with Sun, you know, isn't working this year. And yeah, I think we should be using him a little differently. But clearly, on some level, it's down to Sun having the yips and having Richarlson. Whatever you think about what we paid for him, it is a nice alternative to have out there because it is productive. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly more productive than what we would have done in the past, which was what you know. Aura for 60 minutes and then, you know, be super frustrated by that. Like, uh, you know, the, I, I, I liked Richarlison in this game. I, I, I want him to continue to like get comfortable in this team and, and actually put some end product with some of the, you know, good shithousery stuff that we've all been enjoying. Um, but I also, I think, I think my problem with him in this lineup when he's playing with Kane is I'm just not sure what Richarlison is supposed to do to get his shots and be like a contributing member of the attack. Like I understand what, what you guys are talking about. Like he, he brings this sort of off the ball mental and psychological. And then like also, you know, the literal physical part of, of just, you know, beating up on people, but like in the, in the patterns that in the, in the, in the penalty area, I just don't know how he's getting his shot. And like, he, he got the one shot um, in the good position in this match by kind of being like the trailer and kind of late into the box. Um, but I have to imagine like given his size and his physicality that you want to use him for Kulisevsky and, uh, and Emerson to like throw crosses at his head at the back post. Um, and we just haven't kind of seen that like i i just i'm worried we don't have a plan to like fully incorporate him into making this like like this three-man attack work i agree i think i think it's a good question because i think you know he's like not quite as technical as you want out of a guy in that position he's not as good of a dribbler as he thinks he is and kind of overplays sometimes he's not you know creating the space for himself he doesn't have the kind of off the ball movement that sun does you know to get those sort of free shots. He can sometimes just like put a shoulder into somebody and shift the ball and get a shot away. But yeah, he's got a lot going for him, but like nothing is so good that it kind of ever really feels like it's working for him unless the team is kind of manufacturing it for him. Like that one chance he got from like a really terrible angle um, where I think it was Kane who fed him, um, and Fabianski did a really good job closing it down. Like that was the first time I can think of at all for Spurs that he has kind of gotten a shot in space and not through traffic. And we need to figure out, you're right, like more of how we can play in a way that allows that to happen. What I think, what I like about Richarlson, which I don't think, like you guys are saying, I don't think we've fully figured out how to use I think he gives our front line a lot more flexibility. Like, I mean, obviously you can shift Son and Kane and Kulishevsky around, but, like, you can really start playing around with what position everyone is in. Because 
you can drop you can drop Kane deeper. You can shift him out to the left. You can put Richarlson in. You can actually put Richarlson in the middle. I know that sometimes Sun plays up the middle or whatever, but like Richarlson's a real physical presence up there. I think there's a. I think that's what he really gives you, which is an ability to really start shifting shit around. And you know, yeah. and if we can figure that's out a way to get Dan Juma involved in there, we can have a party. I mean, I, I think he gives us a lot of flexibility if we're willing to be more creative with it. And I don't know how much of it's just like Conley doesn't know what to do with it, or he's just been hurt and you know we haven't been able to use him you're right i think there's a few moments that i remember where richarlison was able to be like the you know found himself as the furthest forward and like as an outball unlike sun he is much better at playing back to goal and yeah. holding off a defender and if kane is not having to do that he's in a position to take layoffs and then kind of dictate the attack in a way that he really has struggled with recently so can... yeah you're right there's something there yeah and it's 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 I think it's incumbent on the team to figure it out because, like I said, he can play back to goal up front. He can shift over to the left where we've seen him be effective with Everton and in a more limited degree with us. I mean, he's great. I love having him in the box on set pieces. Um, You know, I mean, he's a really useful player. And, you know, regardless of what you thought about the fee we paid for him, I think it's great that we have a guy like that in the team. You know, for for once, we actually have all this attacking depth. I mean, you know, between him and Dan Juma. And, you know, I just think we just got to be sort of smart enough to use it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that we went to Richarlison um, as the Sun replacement as opposed to Dan Juma, just because they seem to... No. No, I mean Dan Juma. I mean, like, for the, in the beginning oh, of oh, the match. Oh, not, sorry, not sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, okay, go I ahead. Like, sorry. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right about <laughs> what names are. Um... So, so you know, Dan Juma to me presents as the more sun-like substance. Like he is more dribbly. He's probably less of a, a shot getter than than either Sun or Richarlison. But like, you would kind of preserve your shape in a way that the the same way that you would be with Sun. Um, and maybe that's just a decision based on you know we need Richarlison fit for this stretch run. Like he needs the game time and the minutes. Like whatever. Um, but I mean, you know, we got the we got the good result at the end, so it doesn't really matter what I think of the tactics. But I, I just think, you know, when Richarlison is there, the shape needs to change. Like Ben said, like whether it's we shift him into the middle or or, or we we play some other type of way, um, it just uh, Christian Stellini is a genius. Look, and so I guess we just have to give him time. Is 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 what the my my overarching message is here. Um, and he'll figure it out because, you know, if him and Ryan Mason, how to get Eric Dyer into midfield um, and make that look good, then they can do anything, honestly. Yeah, I think the thing with Dan Juma is like he's a very individualistic kind of player. Like he has that sort of expressiveness to his game that is seemingly incompatible with a very rigid patterns oriented system. I am very much with you and like I would like a guy who can just sort of break a defender off and like make things a little messy and like create something um but he did play at Villarreal under Emery who was also a very kind of rigid manager and so I think there is a way to harness that that'll work with this team and it may just take time or or what but you know I think I think I think we will see more of him down the stretch and I am I'm hopeful of what that'll look like, but 
but to Greg's point, when he so rudely corrected me and incorrectly corrected me earlier, uh, it was weird that Lucas was the sub at the end. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate that, like, okay, Lucas is maybe, he's coming back from injury, he played for the under-21s the other week, and now, like, you want to get him on the f- field for three or four minutes at the end of this game. Is that more valuable to the team in the season than, you know, a few more minutes Juma game time? I I just, I'm really tired of seeing Lucas. Well, I, I agree with you. Rumors are to be believed. We're about to cut Lucas and let him go for free fucking somewhere. I don't even remember what club was linked. So Fenerbahce? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like a, a place that a Lucas Mora would end up. The point but is, maybe he just like honestly, wanted to say goodbye, you know? There is not a reason yeah. to have Lucas on this team. Like, I mean, it is, I mean, there is a reason. He is like an emergency break glass. We are down too many attackers. But, like, and I don't know, like, it might not make a difference, but, like, to me, clearly the issue is, like, Dan Juma is a guy who could contribute to this team now, maybe in future seasons, and the priority is getting this guy up to speed. Now, I don't know if playing a bunch of garbage minutes against West Ham is going to really make the difference, but I would rather see a guy, like, running out that, getting some in-game familiarity with his teammates than, you know, putting Lucas Moore on. Now, again, it's garbage time, so maybe it's let's just throw a guy out there where we don't really care what happens to him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Dan Juma has a lot to offer this team. I think he's really good, um, as a option off the bench. And frankly, like I, I, I'm pretty interested in keeping him around next year for the price that we're going to be able that in theory, we're going to be able, able to pay for him. Um, so I don't know. I'd rather be seeing him out there, but I guess it's if we're complaining if after the way this season has gone, if we're complaining about substitutions and garbage time, it's probably a pretty good day at the office. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Christian Stellini can only improve so many areas of the club. How dare you? In one week, how dare you? Insomnia. <laughs> Stellini is limitless. Oh. oh. But yeah, it was it was a nice. I don't know. It was, the first half was a little. I, I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of other Spurs fans, but you know we were a little stuck in the mud in the first half. But it, it's nice just having a, especially after that god awful Milan performance, just you know a really productive, relatively comfortable win. Like, yeah, especially because we got Chelsea this weekend. God, I'm just. Which will be I don't know miserable from start to finish. I don't think there's any circumstance in which I'll feel comfortable or happy going into a Chelsea match. What's Stellini's record against Chelsea like? I think it's perfect so I mean, far. he hasn't lost to him. I'm not worried about it. I mean, like, I this know. is... This is a bad fixture, but Chelsea have been awful. Like, if there's any time that ben, we shut can up. break stop, this Stop, jinx. stop, stop. Don't, don't. Don't jinx this uh, anymore. I did it. It's me. I yes. ruined the game. Yes. Everyone yell at me next week. I mean, they How did you... lose to like a managerless Southampton team. How do you feel, Ben? I know you were a very big Potter supporter, uh, you know, in when we were looking for other managers uh, a few years ago. How do you feel about Potter's tenure at Chelsea? Do you think he's been hard done by? Do you think he is what he obviously is, which is a fraud? Um, you know, how, how do you feel about him after his time at Chelsea? Ben is never going to live down the curious phase he went through. 
Look, I know J.K. Rowling is a problem, and she is a turf and an anti-Semite and a racist and all of these things, but I just have deep childhood connections to Potter. To Brighton. You're, you're, just, to you're just born and raised a Brighton fan, so. Um, no, to be clear, fuck J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> no, I think Graham Potter is still a good manager, and I think the extenuating circumstances at Chelsea – do not excuse how bad his performances have been at that club. Um, I would still bet on him coming good in the future, whether that's a Chelsea, I don't know, but I wouldn't bet so highly on it that I'm willing to take him as first this summer. I'll say that. Would you say come good? Do you just mean like a productive upper tier manager? Do you mean a champions league level manager? I'm just curious what you, where you think he's going to end up eventually. I mean, I think the career path is, can get rocky when you, you know, work for Chelsea, your first big job, <laughs> you know, like it's tough to get another swing at a big team. If Spurs aren't willing to rehabilitate yet another <laughs> Chelsea manager. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if he gets sacked this season, like he'll rock up somewhere and do a pretty good job. And if he doesn't, then I'm even more impressed by everything behind the scenes of Brighton. And we should just go buy that because that's clearly where, all the magic happens. Oh, yeah, I don't no. Know. I think he's got good ideas. Is Brian muted? Nope. I didn't have anything to contribute to that conversation at <laughs> all. So you have no evidence. I don't know. It would be nice to get a Chelsea manager fired for once, even though I don't think that would probably happen. But, uh, yeah, I, I would just like to beat Chelsea. I feel like it never fucking happens, um, even though we have had some decent results against them. But, it just, I don't know. It'd be really nice to get a win against them this weekend. We can do it. Like I said, they don't shoot oh, we... the ball. They don't score goals. Oh, now who's jinxing yeah. the team? <laughs> uh, Brian. Uh. Aubameyang's going to like rise up from beneath the pitch to score a winner. Um, like a zombie or something. Ugh. I don't know. It'll be interesting. You know, hopefully, maybe maybe we'll have some tactical tricks for them, but probably not. I mean, no, seriously, guys. They've literally scored one goal in oh, the last one, God, two, Brian. three, four, in their last five matches. Just saying. So that means they're due for five yeah, goals in their next put, yeah. match. They're going <laughs> to put seven. Draw. <laughs> they're going to put seven past us. Jesus Christ. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Do, do we have any other final thoughts about Spurs? Ben, do you have anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I guess I'll say we like to downplay the rivalry with West Ham. Like, we're too big to care about them. But, like, I do fucking like beating West Ham. <laughs> like, fuck West Ham. And you know, they've, like, stuck it up us enough times that's, like, really fucking annoying that it's more than just, like, depriving them of their cup final. Like, I like beating them. Fuck them. Well, it's also, it's not just that. It's, it's... They're obnoxious, they're shitty, and they're also, like, budget Lazio, so it's, like, there's nothing that's, like, you never feel bad for West Ham fans. Like, fuck them. Like, not not enough bad things can happen to that club, so it's always nice putting them under, yeah. I do enjoy this game more than, you know, other than our actual rivals. Like, I enjoy beating West Ham more than, you know, Leeds or some other garbage relegation scrapping nonsense club. Fuck West Ham. (laughs) I agree. I fuck them. I've never met a West Ham fan in the wild, but I'm sure they're horrible people. 
I went, uh, I went to see Spurs play West Ham with my dad many, many years ago at White Hart Lane. And um, my dad, uh, it, it was an interesting experience, like in the, like the second minute of the match, having to explain to my dad why they were all hissing at the Spurs fans. So, yeah, they're, they're loathsome people who deserve everything they have coming to them. So. Which, uh, which soccer hooligan movie was it that Green they were Street. in the West Ham? Green was it Green Street? Street? Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was that one or the one with Danny Dyer. Oh, it was that one. Is it? Is what's the one with Danny Dyer? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what team that focuses on. It's Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think the I think the one with Danny Dyer is their their Millwall fans. Scintillating podcast. Right yeah, you stopped recording, football. right? No, we're it's done football, here. football factory. factory. Um, oh, and they're Chelsea fans, are they? Maybe. Oh, well, that's appropriate. Okay, we're bringing it all back together. We're tying it all together in a nice, neat little bow. Yeah, they're Chelsea. And fans. And on right. that note, I'm your host, <laughs> Ben. Where can people find you on the internet talking shit about West Ham? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade You Spurs. That's Comrade with a Y. Brian, where can people find you on the internet uh, hitting the slopes? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. I hope all his future employers have listened to this deep into the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. That's 0079 with a Y. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a review because if you listen this far, I think we deserve it. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, for Brett Rainbow, um, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs.